Uh, who else has kids? That's a real thing that actually happens. I didn't think, I thought it was a joke until I had my own kids, and that really does happen. So it occurred to me, uh, as we've been in this message series um, for about the last month or so, which way to the promised land, we've been looking at the book of Exodus and, and God's miraculous interaction with the people of Israel, newly released and, and freed from captivity in Egypt. We haven't actually talked about that, the promised land. Where was God sending these people? Was it some sort of like wild animal situation where it was just let them go and see wherever they land? Uh, what, what, what's this promised land all about? So that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Where was God sending these people and why? And, and there's three times in the book of Exodus leading up to where we are today in our scripture reading where God reveals his plan for where he's going to send this, this nation of, of, of Israelites. And so this is actually at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 where God is talking to Moses, laying out this vision, and he says, So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land that to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. So that's where they're going, to the land flowing with milk and honey full of these other people. And you might say, well, what if I'm lactose intolerant and I just don't like honey? Well, it's just, it was a Jewish way of saying, a Hebrew way of saying that this was a good, fertile land, a land suitable for raising crops and cattle. Uh, that's where they were going. And this wasn't a new revelation. This wasn't as though God just said, all of a sudden, I'm going to decide to put them there. This was something that God had promised generations before the Israelites were even in Egypt. When God is meeting with Abraham, the father of the entire nation of Israel, generations before, Abraham is living uh, a tribal life in the land of Canaan, but he, he doesn't doesn't own any property. It's just him and his family wandering around. And God comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with him, says, you are going to be the father of many nations. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And he says, I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants, it will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. So, so this was the important thing to know about the book of Exodus right now, where we're at in the, in the journey that these uh, Hebrew people are taking through the desert, and they're about to begin the, the famous 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. The important thing to keep in mind is that they weren't wandering because they didn't know where they were going. They weren't just lost, waiting for God to, to point them in the right direction. They knew exactly where they were supposed to go. This was the bedtime story for every Hebrew boy and girl growing up, that one day God is going to release us from captivity, bring us up out of slavery, and deliver us to Canaan, to the promised land, to our inheritance, and really set us free and, and put us on right standing with him. That was the vision that they had. Last week, Pastor Scott talked about uh, the parting of the Red Sea, and he showed us a map that, that points to the fact that Canaan isn't really even that far from, from Egypt. You know, they had to take a route south, but you can just follow the coast and you're right there. They knew where they were supposed to go, and they knew how to get there. They weren't just lost and wandering around. And one of the reasons we know that is because they didn't start wandering right away. They actually made it to Canaan. They made it to the border of the promised land. So we have to back up a little bit if, if this is the first week you're kind of diving in with this uh, message series with us. So a bunch of things happen in the book of Exodus. Moses is sent into Egypt by God to deliver those people from captivity. The ten plagues happened. Pharaoh lets those people go, uh, but he chases them down at the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea for them, and they cross through on dry ground. God causes the, the sea to collapse in on the, on the, on the Egyptian armies. 
Moses then leads the people to Mount Sinai, and that's where at Mount Sinai where God delivers the Ten Commandments, the laws of the Old Testament. That's also where the golden calf experience happens. You can read all about that in Exodus. But then after that, they leave Mount Sinai and they go to Canaan. They go straight north to the promised land where they're supposed to end up. And, and, and this is where our, our, the epic saga of the people of Israel in the desert makes us turn to the book of Numbers. You picked the great weekend to come to church. We get to talk about the book of Numbers today. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, last, last night when I was preaching this, one of our math teachers in the room said, don't make fun of Numbers. I was an English major, so I, I don't really... If, if you're really into all the numbers that are in the book of Numbers, see, God commands this enormous census to be taken of all the newly freed slaves, and it goes into great detail of, of how many and what family and what tribe. Don't worry, we're not going to do that today. There's a lot more to the book than that, but that's really what it is, and that's why we don't tend to talk about it a lot in church, because the book of Numbers is a lot of numbers. If you've been around Hope for any length of time, uh, you'll know that at Lutheran Church of Hope, we, we tend to count a lot of things here at Lutheran Church of Hope. We, we count and track attendance and membership. We track registrations for classes, for events, for small groups. Um, we, we count, obviously, we count finances and keep very close attention to those things. And that can actually put a lot of people off. You know, that, that we count so many things as a church. You know, why would you be folk so fixated on numbers? You know, there's a whole book of the Bible about it, but beyond, beside that, the underlying assumption as to why people are put off by us counting things is that the only reason we're doing that is so that we can show evidence for how successful we are. Now, that's the reason why we're counting. We want to be able to say, we had this many kids come to Vacation Bible School this year, and this many people in small groups, and look at how great we are. That's what people think we're doing when we're keeping track uh, of all the numbers in our church, and that's not actually what's going on. Exod uh, numbers chapter 1 points to the vision behind why God even asked his people to keep track of the numbers in their camp. Let's read this together from Numbers chapter 1. Read this with me. From the whole community of Israel... Record the names of all the warriors by their clans and families. List all the men 20 years old or older who are able to go to war. God isn't just saying, I want you to count the number of, of Israelites I freed from Egypt so we can say, look at how big we are. Look at how great we are. All the awesome things that we're doing. We're this big and massive people on the move. And, and isn't that awesome? That's not what God is doing. Look very carefully. God is saying, I want to know... What are the resources we have at our disposal? God says, I have a big plan for your people, that you are going to change the world, bless all the nations for my name and my glory. Who is here that's on board? Who is going to be a part of this? Who, who is able to hold a sword and to wield it and go to battle with God's people? That's what God wants to know. That, that these people matter to God, that they're important because they're a part of something bigger than they themselves are individually. At Hope, every morning, Jen said it when she welcomed you, we don't think it's an accident you're here. And we don't just say that because we're repeating ourselves and we like to hear ourselves say the th same things over and over again. We really believe it's no accident that you're here, that God has brought you into this place to be a part of what he is doing, not just through Lutheran Church of Hope, but through the church in the world to share his love and his light out in the world that needs it. That's what's going on in Numbers, and that's why God is asking them to pay attention. And we know this, actually, from the Hebrew that God uses. So in the, in the word, record the names of all the warriors. There are a lot of different Hebrew words that God could have used to mean just count. Count them. Limnot, lispor, lashov. There, there are several different Hebrew words that mean one, two, three, counting. And that's not the phrase God used. God said this, sue et rosh. 
Literally in Hebrew, lift the head of all of the warriors and their clans and their families. Why does God use this phrase to mean count all the people? Well, because these were slaves. Their parents were slaves, and their parents were slaves, and their parents were slaves. This was a people whose posture was like this their whole lives, head down, subservient, submissive, tortured, made to do hard labor, in bondage, no name, no identity, and God says, you are mine now, you are free, lift up your head. Be counted. I'm not just counting you, I'm letting you know that you count to God. Every single last one of you, lift up your head. God is going to do that for you so that you know that you are free in my love, in my life, freed from captivity forever, that you have a name, you have a purpose, you belong to this great movement of, of, of blessing that God is pouring out into the world. Lift up your head and be counted. And that's what God wants to do with every single one of us. That God has set us free from captivity to sin. That, that too often in our lives, we walk around with our heads down feeling the weight of the chains of the sins in our lives, and God is saying, lift up your head and be counted. Let me look you in the face and tell you that I love you. So they take this, this massive census, and I kind of wish numbers would get to the point. I mean, it's really in detail. Eventually, numbers says that there were 603,550 men over the age of 20 who were able to go to war. So that didn't count their wives and children, their families, and that also didn't count the, the tribe of Levi, so there were 12 tribes in the ancient people of Israel. Levi was set apart to be the priests, the overseers of worship, and they didn't have to fight and go to war. So good news for me. I'm just kidding. So one-twelfth of the people of Israel weren't counted along with all the women. So it might be safe to assume that there were at least a million people, probably a lot more than that, following God through the desert. This wasn't some small little group of people that were wandering around. This was a sizable presence in this land, they would have, people would have seen them coming, and they're marching straight for the promised land from Mount Sinai to the southern border of Canaan, grumbling all the way, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I need food. I don't like that food. Give me different food. I need water. The water comes from a rock, but it's salty. So there's all, they're just complaining the whole way, and they finally get to the southern border of the promised land, and things go from bad to worse. They're there, and God says this to Moses in, in Numbers 13. He says, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So pick 12 guys, and, and God simply just says, go explore, go check it out. I think Moses is a little bit afraid of what's about to happen because he kind of adds a few extra instructions. So Moses then gave the men these instructions, go north through the Negev, see what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or weak or few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good? Is it bad? Do the towns have walls, fortifications, or are they unprotected? Moses is, is sharing a few more additional details of what he would like these guys to investigate. Don't just explore, but really dig into it deeply. You know, I, I figure out what we're actually... How are we going to take a million people who have no military training into the, this massive land full of different people groups who all have fortified towns and cities and armies, and how are we going to do this? Moses was afraid, I think. Like any probably rational person would be, he was afraid. Uh, how is God going to pull this off? Sure, he, he let us escape from Egypt. We were running away. Now we're actually going to invade something how is this going to happen? 
And so these 12 men take off, and for 40 days they explore the land of Canaan, and they go all over and they investigate, they do what Moses asked, and 10 of them come back even more terrified than when they came in. I want to read to you from Numbers 13. This was the report that 10 people gave to Moses after they explored. We entered the land you send us to explore. It is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they, here's the fruit it produces. They brought back some samples. Here's the kind of fruit. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the sea and the Jordan Valley. Caleb, one of the twelve, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. And they were terrified. And not only did they bring their concerns to their leaders, they, they actually, if, if, they, they didn't know if, the, if Moses was going to take them seriously. So, like many of us do, they went and built their own army. They said, well, I don't know if Moses is going to listen to us. He might make a bad decision. Let's all get together over here, share this bad report together, make each other afraid, so that when the time comes, we can at least resist with division in our camp. And that happens all too often. When we're about to take risks as a people and we're not able to agree that, that instead of disagreeing in a healthy way that we actually just build our own little armies and, and share gossip with each other and, and spread rumors. This was, a, this was a, a poison among the Israelite camp throughout their, their history. From fear. All from fear. And God doesn't give a spirit of fear. God does not give a spirit of fear at any point in life. Let's read this verse together from, from 2 Timothy. Now, oftentimes when we read verses together, we just sit here and we read them, and that's fine. This isn't that type of verse where you can sit down and read it. I want us all to stand up, and we are going to read out loud, as loudly as we really can, this verse, because we really need to mean that this is who God says we are. I'm actually going to have Jared cut my mic so I can do it with you. Let's read this verse out loud, 2 Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. You all can have a seat. That's a good word. This, this is who God is. God does not give a spirit of fear. If you're facing a decision in your life, a fork in the road, and one path makes you afraid, that might be the right way to go because God didn't put that fear there. God never gives a spirit of fear. God always gives a vision and the power for you to see it through. That's the God that we follow. That's the God that you serve. A God of power and love and a sound mind, and you can trust him, but the Israelites didn't. They didn't trust that that's who God really was. Two of them did. This is what Caleb and Joshua said. The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Those guys got it. And they didn't deny that there were obstacles. They didn't say, well, the giants really aren't that big. You know, the walls aren't really that high. Their armies aren't that big. They didn't say that. They didn't try to talk it down. They said, yeah, it looks pretty bad. But God is with us. 
and God has set us free, and God will protect us and see us through to the other side, and we can trust him because God does not give a spirit of fear. God gives a spirit of power. And if we don't believe that, if we don't believe that for ourselves today, that that's the God that we follow, then we've got some work to do. So God said this to the people, because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year of, for each day, suffering the consequences of your sin. So that point, God turns them around from the promised land, and he said, you're going to suffer the consequences of your sin by wandering in the desert. Now, it would be really easy for us to read this as God is simply punishing these people for being disobedient. That's the easy way to read this scripture, that they did something bad so God will punish them. And that's not what's happening here. The, the, the Israelite word, the Hebrew word for wilderness is, is a key point in, in, their, in their nation, in their history. It's an important idea for them as a people group. See, the, the Israelite, the Hebrew word for wilderness or desert is midbar. Everybody say midbar. And it actually comes from the root word in Hebrew, dabar. Everybody say dabar. dabar. I, uh, I did my, some of my seminary work outside of Chicago, so when I was memorizing Hebrew, the way I memorized this one was I would, dabar. <laughs> That's terrible. It's really how I memorized it, though. Dabar simply means a word, a spoken word, a revelation, an idea, a thing, the voice of God. The way that the Hebrews knew what God was up to was, was that God was sending them to the wilderness for a reason. It wasn't a punishment. We who are parents, you know the difference between, and, and the verse that we read says, you're going to suffer the consequence of your sin. There's a difference between consequences and punishment. The consequence for this sin was that they needed to go to a place where they could hear from God more about who he was. And the sin, again, this is really important for us to latch on to what sin really is. We tend to think of sin as, you know, I did this bad thing and so God's going to punish me for that bad thing. And then I did this bad thing, so God's going to punish me for that. That's not how sin works. Those are sinful behaviors. Those are results of sin, this massive idea, the root of which is that we do not believe who God is. That is truly sin. Refusing to believe that we serve the all-powerful, good and loving God of the universe and that he has set us free, that's where sin comes from. So, so God isn't saying, I'm going to punish you for disobedience. God is saying, you don't believe who I am. And that's a problem because you can't go into the promised land that God promised you not believing that God is who he says he is. You still believe you're slaves. You still are living with a captive mindset. A mindset that is, that is still in bondage to the slavery of your former life. And that's us. That's us all too often. That we walk around feeling the weight of, of sinful behaviors. And, and we live like slaves, captive to our sins. We keep running back to those behaviors because they're comfortable, because they're familiar. Just like the Israelites wanted to run back to slavery in Egypt because it was familiar, it was comfortable to them. And God says, you're free. I've set you free. Live like free people. And they said, we're afraid. So what God said, because he's a loving father, he says, well, then you need to go wander in the wilderness. You need to go listen to my voice in a place where it's the clearest, that we've got some work to do in your life. 
And for each of us, that, that's, that's the key for if you're struggling in your life, if you're struggling with decisions or sinful behaviors or habits or addictions, God has set you free from those things. But if you don't believe that he set you free from those things, the only way you're going to understand that is if you seek him in the wilderness, in solitude, and listen to his voice. Again, not as, a, not as a way to make up for something. Like we think, well, I messed up yesterday, so today I'm going to have a quiet time to make up for when I messed up yesterday. Or I'm going to pray, or I'm going to read my Bible to make up for the bad stuff I did yesterday. That's not going to cut it. That's not even the point. The point of quiet time, of reading your Bible, of prayer, is to hear God's voice, to let him lift up your head, to give you the identity of free people who are alive in Jesus Christ if you put your faith and your trust in him. That's the point of seeking solitude with God in the wilderness. And that's the only place you can find it. There's a, a Jewish rabbi named Jonathan Sachs who writes prolifically about this idea in, in, in Hebrew. He says this, Only in the emptiness of the wilderness is the eye subordinate to the ear. Only in the silence of the desert can the sound beneath sound be heard. In Hebrew thought, book, book is another translation for debar, and desert are contingent upon one another. So, so what the Hebrew people would have heard was, you need to go wander in the wilderness as a consequence for your sin, what they heard was, God wants to talk to you about who he is and who you are. And it's going to take some time. It, you have to be patient in the wandering and in the desert. Maybe some of you are there right now. And it might feel like you're lost. But again, the Hebrew people weren't lost. The difference between wandering and being lost is God's voice. God will speak to you in your wandering. Because he loves you. Because he wants to give you an identity. He wants to show you who he really is. And to lift up your head. And this wasn't the only time in the history of the Israelite people that they had to wander in the wilderness. God would keep calling them back to exile to remind them of his promises, to remind them of his goodness. And even in the history of Christianity, there have been seasons where, where that's been the case too. Uh, 400 years after uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity was growing and it was, it was, it was building momentum and gaining movement. Uh, but there were a, a bunch of people, hundreds of people, who felt like it wasn't really going the way God wanted it to go. It was becoming institutionalized, and things weren't happening the way it should. So they actually went, hundreds of monks went back out into this same desert outside of Egypt to listen to God in the wilderness, to hear his voice, to shut out the noise of the world around them, and to seek his vision for their future, for the future of Christianity uh, is a movement commonly called the Desert Fathers, was this group of people. But it, it, it's pretty cool that, that um, not just men went out and did this. There were a lot of women who went out into the desert by themselves to be monks, to listen to God's voice, and then people would go out and ask them advice for how to live and how to lead. And this is what one of the desert mothers actually said. Her name was Theodora. She said this, Let us strive to enter by the narrow gate. Just as the trees, if they have not stood before the winter storms, cannot bear fruit, so it is with us. This present age is a storm, and it is only through many trials and temptations that we can obtain an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And that was 1,600 years ago, if she was able to say, this present age is a storm. And that still feels like today. The storms of our life and the difficulties that we face, the giants in the land and the obstacles set before us seem huge, seem large. And it's in the wandering of the wilderness that God is able to say, you are more than conquerors in this world, that I have given you a vision for the future to go out and share my light and my love with everybody, as difficult as that sounds. 
So, and you might even be saying, well, okay, so trees and fruit and the wilderness and all these ideas that are super spiritual sounding. What about the practical stuff? Does God just have anything practical to tell me? Like, I've got a real practical concern that is difficult right in front of me. Would God say anything about that if I really listened? And I think our scripture reading for the day says, yes, God can deal in the practical too, not just the mystical, super spiritual stuff. God has practical things to say. So Moses is leading this people out of Egypt across the Red Sea. And in Exodus 18, they're, they're already grumbling and Moses is already frustrated with all of these people, these over a million people who are mad at him, and they run into his father-in-law. That's who you want to see when you're wandering around in the desert with a million people who are mad at you, your father-in-law. That sounds great. They had a good relationship. So Moses and Jethro, they, run in, they meet each other. Jethro finds them. And, and he hears all about the great things that God has done. And Jethro actually offers sacrifices to God, basically gives his life to the one true God of the world. But he also looks at Moses' leadership and how things are going for him. Jethro was a leader of a large tribe himself. And he watched Moses and he said, well, why are you trying to do all this alone? While everyone stands around you from morning till evening, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. We can't do the wilderness alone. We can't do wandering by ourselves. That's not what God is calling us to be. A, 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 a group of people individually seeking Him by ourselves. The best way to read the Bible is always together. That was how it was written. That's how it was originally read. The best way for us to do the wilderness is together. You can't do it on your own. But, but what also is interesting to me about Exodus 18 is we see a glimpse into Moses' inner life a little bit. I think Moses really enjoyed his position as, as kind of the, the funnel through whom all of God's voice and power flowed. He, he, he wasn't a perfect leader by any stretch. He, I think he saw a lot of uh, identity and pride in being the guy in the camp. And this is... Um, just today, when we were reading the scripture reading, this is what stood out to me. Listen to how many times Moses talks about himself in his leadership role. So why are you doing all this? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When the dispute arises, they come to me. I am the one who settles the case. I inform the people of God's decrees. I think Moses really liked what he had going. That God had blessed him with an abundance of influence and Moses liked to keep it to himself. He didn't want to distribute it the way that Jethro was saying you should, to, to, to send out what God had blessed you with out into the people around you. So Jethro turns it on and says, yeah, you should continue to be the people's representative. But then he says, teach them God's decrees. Give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. Putting it out into the world is the point of all of the things that God is filling our lives with. God is filling your life with something. If you're praying for God to bless you, to, to give you more of whatever it is, influence or, or resources or abilities or talents or more of Him, He's filling your life with something, but the point isn't to hoard it all to yourself. Because when we keep to ourselves all of the things that God is putting into our lives, that's when real trouble can happen. Let's take a look. Steve, Sailorville Lake is about 27 feet above normal, which the Army Corps of Engineers says is very high. Now, I want to show you this outlet here behind me. You can see the water being let out. Now, this is normal. They let out water 365 days a year, but what is not normal is how much water they have to let out right now. Because we're getting hammered with rain up north, that's not good news for Sailorville, where the water ends up. 
Right now we're at elevation 863 feet above sea level. 836 feet is normal. 890 feet is the full flood pool. Now that is a concern as we get more rain over the next few days. The Army Corps of Engineers says it will test the crest gates on Friday. When they inflate those gates, it allows for an extra six feet of water. Those gates were installed after the floods of 93. Now right now, Sailorville Lake is expected to crest on the 4th of July. Until then, several boat ramps and beaches are closed. The Army Corps of Engineers says it's continuing to monitor the situation. After we close all the areas up that are going to be flooded, um, we just watch the forecast. Um, we are laying out as much water as we can right now. There's 16,000 cubic feet of water per second coming out from the dam. Now back here live, as Jeff Rose mentioned, 16,000 cubic feet of water per second being let out. However, he says more than 33,000 is coming in per second. So you can see how much more is coming in than going out. That is the concern here at Sailorville Lake. They say they will continue to monitor the situation because no one exactly ever knows what Mother Nature is going to do. Reporting live from Sailorville Lake, Laura Terrell, KCCI, Iowa's News Leader, Steve, back to you. Uh, so I didn't show you that clip to bring up bad memories of ruined basements and wrecked cars. That wasn't what I was trying to do. I, I was simply struck by the imagery of uh, our reservoir, which is meant to hold water and let it out, being too full and, and, and not having enough room for anything else left in it. And, and in our lives, if we're asking God for, for more of something, whatever it is, and we're not getting a response... I wonder if God might be saying, I'd love to give you more, but what have you already done with the stuff that I put in last time? That, that you're filled to the brim with, with the blessings I already gave you, with the resources you have at your disposal, with whatever, you know, whatever family you've got right now or the influence you've got right now. God is saying, you've got something, and, and I'd love to put more in, but you've got to let some stuff out first. What are you letting out into the world? How are you distributing my blessings? Because the point of God blessing you isn't just to keep it all to yourself. The point of the promised land wasn't just so that the Israelites could kick their feet back and enjoy the good life. That was never the vision of the promise that God gave. All the way back in Genesis 18, when God is talking to Abraham, he says, Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. The point of the promised land was to be the, 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 the launching point for new ministry and new outreach into the world so that the glory of God would reach all the nations, so that all the nations would learn to listen to God's voice and to hear who He really is. We're, we're going to be kicking off our giving campaign next week, and I'm so excited about this. One of the, the centerpiece spaces we're hoping to create inside this new building is an auditorium a little bit smaller than this actually the the interior renderings are on the screen and we think this space will be ideally suited for students for children youth and family age and stage of life weddings and funerals and the the vision we have for this room we actually want to call it the reservoir because that's what we see as a healthy model for for ministry that yeah a reservoir is meant to hold and to keep something for a season and it's important for us, for our, our youth and our students especially, to, to keep them for a season safe, taught, protected, growing, but not forever. We're not meant to stay here forever. We have to let go of the blessings that God has given us, send out into the world in healthy ways so that God can keep putting new stuff in. But it's only in the letting go that we get to see that new stuff happen. 
So I'm excited for that for the future for us. And for you too, especially, to, to, to just think about what, what are the things that God has given you today, the blessings you have today, as a free and alive person in Jesus Christ that you can give away, that you can send out into the world. The love and the light that Jesus has filled you up with, who can you share that with even today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this church and for all you're doing here. Uh, it's amazing to be a part of um, your movement in the world and the Holy Spirit that you're, you're sending out uh, to every corner, God, blessing the nations. And I pray, God, that you would make us a part of that. Help us to be excited about your vision. Help us to, uh, to, to feel your love as you lift up our head and give us identity and purpose as your people following you. Thank you for, uh, for your son, Jesus Christ, who has made all of this possible who has set us free from sin and death forever. We thank you so much for all of these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.